This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. And welcome back to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast after the Reds made it back-to-back 1-0 victories at Anfield on Wednesday night by beating West Ham United three days after the same result against Manchester City. We'll talk West Ham shortly. We'll preview the lunchtime game tomorrow away at Nottingham Forest as well. But there was some not quite so good news for Steven Gerrard Joe last night as he was sacked as manager of Aston Villa. We'll Go to you first on this one. Theo Squires alongside us as well. But we'll start with Gerard. It didn't really feel like a massive surprise that he'd been let go to me. It was a tough job, obviously, that he'd taken on. But the Villa fans started to turn and it kind of felt inevitable sooner rather than later. And obviously, after a 3-0 defeat to Fulham, the, uh, the trigger was pulled. Yeah, it did feel inevitable. Um, our colleague in, in Birmingham, Matt Kendrick, used a great analogy to describe it. I think he said... Uh, it's like the end of a relationship when your partner's buying your flowers and, and making loads of effort, but ultimately a year of them leaving their underwear on the floor has uh, taken its toll. And, and I think it just felt just felt for Gerard like it never really clicked at Villa. I think, you know, I, I personally read the piece today. I think it was a very brave choice for him to go there, you know, uh, following on from Dean Smith, who was really popular with their fans. A big portion of their fan base didn't want Dean Smith sacked. Um, and I think Villa are one of those strange clubs, which I think it's really difficult to, to work out what constitutes success there. You know, if you look at the two teams directly above them at the table, I think you can apply it to them as well, Leeds and, and Everton. And they're, they're a team who are, are a massive name historically, um, have, have a lot of expectation that goes along with that, but really have become a sort of middling Premier League side who have big ambitions, but very little in the way of patience from their fans and, and and it's very difficult for any manager to go there and really turn things around um, given the amount of time that they get. So I thought it was a very brave move for Gerald to go there. I'm not really surprised in how it's turned out, um, but I think any any manager would struggle there. So fascinated to see what Gerard does next, you know, whether he drop, drops down to the championship, goes abroad. You know, I think we know what Gerard's like. He'd be hungry and want to bounce back. Um, and yeah, um, I think he's going to have to pr- choose his next move really wisely. But it, it just didn't really seem to click at Villa and he, he never seemed to be popular with the fans. And, and I think as well, added to all this, I think, look, Gerard, we know, isn't really that popular with, with fans of people outside of Liverpool. You know, I think he did so much damage when he was a player to so many other teams. And I think he... Some of the things he achieved at Liverpool, there was quite a lot of envy there from, from opposition fans. They loved to take the, the mick out of him. So, yeah, again, he did have to have pretty big success pretty quickly to, to sort of forge a long-term relationship with those fans. So it was always a difficult one, um, but I'm sad to see it happen to him. Yeah, there, there didn't really seem to, to be a, a pretty good style of play. It was pretty dire watching them at, at certain times this season, Theo. But at the same time, like Joe says, I mean, there's there's lots of, of clubs trying to do what Villa want to do. They they all want to kind of make that next step and that next jump. You think of West Ham, who spent a lot of money in the summer. A team like Brighton, who spent a lot less, but are in that kind of sort of area of the table as well. Even someone like Palace or Wolves or, or teams like that, there's only so many European places, it, it did almost feel like an impossible job for Gerard to achieve what they wanted him to. And whoever comes in after him, I think will probably end up proving that too. Well, the names you've spoken about there, the differences, I suppose, club-wise, they're all managed really well. And that's the reason they've been able to take those 
next steps like we talk about brighton and how well they're managed um it's such a small pool now to get into this big step of success for premier league teams if you're not part of the big six like newcastle have just taken that that seventh spot now so that's your european place is gone you need to have a domestic cup run really to have good success or get a chance to get into europe but when you've got like city dominating them that's another well that's dried up so it is just being the best of the rest. Um, David Moyes spoke midweek after the Liverpool game how West Ham have become the best of the rest the last few years. Had a couple of European campaigns and they've been managed really well despite the owners maybe not being the most popular at times. But they've still signed well and by sticking with the manager, they've managed to make it click. He's got a connection with the fan base. Steven Gerrard never had any of that at Aston Villa. I think it's only a few years ago they were coming up from the Championship. They're on the verge of administration. Um, one of the reasons Dean Smith lost his job was because they just went on this massive spending spree and the players didn't really step up and deliver what they expected. Um, they went on another spending spree to back Steven Gerrard. Most of those signings end up injured, so he's back left with the squad that Dean Smith left him, which he pretty much said wasn't good enough in the first place. Now he's got to get them on side and get them up to speed. And he probably lost the dressing room when he dropped popular Tyrone Ming, stripped him of the captaincy. So he was always putting out so many fires. Villa fans were never going to take to him if he didn't get this success because Dean Smith was one of their own. He was a boy at Aston Villa fan. As Joe said, they didn't want him to go. Um, and all the times he scored against Aston Villa in the time, they were just waiting for it to, him to fall flat on, flat on his face so they could turn against him. It wasn't quite uh, Steve Bruce levels where they're throwing, was it cabbages or lettuces or whatever it was at him on the side of the pitch. But it was only a matter of time before they did turn on Gerard because, let's face it, he was never going to get them into European football. Certainly not in the first 12 months. He took over a team in 15th. He got them to 14th. Realistically, they're looking at, what, 10th. Not been a great season so far, but there's so many injuries. Maybe a manager with more experience that give him a bit more faith, um, give him a bit more time. But when he's just proven north of the border with Rangers at the moment, it's very easy for Villa to eventually pull the plug on it and just hope that wherever Gerard goes next, he'll choose his next move wisely and get that connection with the fans and rebuild the reputation. Because if he gets the next move right, they saw, oh, below it was just difficult circumstances. If he gets it wrong, he's very much costing himself a chance of being Liverpool manager one day because maybe he's not quite got it. And then there's always going to be that talk of, well, how much did Michael Beale's departure to QPR affect him? On the same day, Beale turns down a move to Wolves, a move to the Premier League. It's QPR side at the top of the Championship. Everything's going right for him and he seems destined to be a Premier League manager one day, whereas Jared's going back to the drawing board. Yeah, it was uh, not the, the best sort of circumstances for, for Gerard. There were injuries and, and mitigating circumstances there, as, as Theo says, Joe. But where do you think this leaves him? Obviously, the end game for him would always be the Liverpool job. There was always probably going to have to be another step between now and, and then. But where does he go next? There doesn't seem to be many obvious Premier League jobs that might come up soon that he'd be looking at. So is it just a, a step to the Championship, do you think? That's first things first, you know, I think we need to sort of stop this 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 crazy Liverpool job. You know, if he was any other manager, we'd never mention him. And because of his Liverpool ties, it's like, even after being sacked by Villa, we're still mentioning getting the Liverpool job. I think he needs to just forget about that. The best thing that's, that's happened to Frank Lampard is that he's been to Chelsea and been sacked because he can just get on with his career now and forget about having that constantly hanging over him. And I think for Gerrard that needs to become less of a thing. And, and in a way, this might help him because it might make the Liverpool job suddenly evaporate, go away, and he can get on with his career without worrying about that being 
an issue at every club he goes to. You know, if he achieves it, can he get the Liverpool job? So I think first thing first, we need to forget about that. Um, you know, and, and Liverpool, when the time comes to replace Jurgen Klopp, need to replace Jurgen Klopp with the absolute best manager they can get and the one, and the one that suits them well. Not just because someone was their ex-player or has an affinity with the club. So I think for both sides, um, we should move away from that. Um, but yeah, where suits Gerard? I'd like to see him go abroad. You know, I think, let's face it, I think there's, there's two places I can see him going to. One is, is the Championship and the other one is abroad. And in the Championship, I think you can certainly prove yourself and do well there. Um, I think it would be good for him in terms of, you know, he, he would he would pick up a lot of experience there. He'd be given more time to make mistakes. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'd like to see him as a manager go and broaden his horizons. And we don't see that happen with a lot of English managers. Uh, obviously, Graham Potter worked away for a while. And, you know, I think it would be good for him. So I'd love to see him go to a different league, somewhere slightly different and try and, you know, win some trophies there, try and establish a reputation there. And then he could move back and whether that's the championship or another Premier League club, I don't know. But um, that's what I'd like to see him do. Um, if I was a better man, I'd say he pops up somewhere in the championship or even returns to Rangers. Um, you know, but I don't think returning to Rangers would be the, the best move for him because I think it seems slightly safe. Um, so, shall we say so? Yeah, uh, championship probably. Yeah. Some with him, where he was this one club man for Liverpool for the majority of his career, he does need to get as many experiences as he can to make it at that next level, you think, as a manager. It'd be great to see him go, I don't know, somewhere like Holland, Germany or France, one of those leagues, turn aside with like European ambitions and get them to that next level. But I suppose alternatively, maybe he's a contender for the England job if they have an awful World Cup, if Southgate gets sacked. Like his main highlight at Rangers, apart from winning the league, was those European runs. And that was based on his tactics when they were setting up so well defensively, getting away goals and getting through to the later stages of these tournaments against the odd. That is perfect for knockout football. It's perfect for international football where it's not the most pretty on the eye. I think maybe good working with a higher level of player there. Um, obviously, shooting Southgate down now before even they've had the chance to compete in the World Cup. He's a man who's got them to a European Championships final, World Cup semi-final. But the pressure has been on him this year. Um, there's going to be scrutiny over whoever he picks in this squad uh, next month. That tournament doesn't go to plan. Pressure's on even more and he loses the job. That's a couple of months on holiday or whatever for Gerard. He can be a pundit, do whatever he wants. He might be a contender for that next time it comes up. Yeah, I think it'd certainly benefit him to have a, a little bit of a break and reassess and make sure he gets the, the next one right. But uh, don't worry, Joe, I'm not going to ask you about the England job. We'll move on. We'll go beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move uh, on. Uh, can we just cut that bit out? I don't even know why you have to bring it up there. The England job. He's not a contender for that. And, he, and even if he was, well... Uh, no Would you rather he goes Bristol City? Yeah, yeah, with, absolutely much rather he goes to Bristol City because the England job as well. Let's face it, if Frank Lampard, uh, Frank Lampard Gareth Southgate leaves, in, leaves the England job, does he deserve a, a job even in the Premier League? I don't think he's a Premier League manager. No, he doesn't. He's been relegated so, in both his jobs exactly, and career and that's exactly. very impressive for an international so, manager. So, you know, can we just stop talking about the England job? Don't be careful. <laughs> exactly right we'll move on we'll move on we'll move on to uh, West Ham Joe I'll stick with you with uh, Darwin Nunez uh, was one of the uh, the talking points really obviously the match winner lots of shots lots of goals lots more of the same really from him and lots of kind of 
more promising signs once again from the Uruguayan forward. Darwin Nunes has, has been causing me plenty of confusion this season. I can't work it out. You know, like one moment, it, you know, he, he sort of falls over the ball or, or misses an easy chance or scuffs a shot wide. And I think, what is Liverpool balls here? And then the next moment, he's hitting a sweet left foot volley off the inside of the post and, and scoring almost, you know, one of the goals of the season for Liverpool. And But with each game that goes by, I feel like I, I see less of the falling over the ball and missing good chances and, and more of the, the sweet left foot volley. So it, I'm starting to get more and more excited by him. And I, and I thought the first half against West Ham, um, it, it, he was just superb. He reminded me a lot, um, a very different type of footballer, but with the, the enthusiasm that he played. If anyone could remember back to watching uh, Dirk Cantor, I think that was against West Ham. From what I can remember, make his Liverpool debut coming off the bench. Uh, and I was remembering coming off the bench and get on the pitch, and he just wanted to be on the ball, he wanted to be involved. He had shots, he didn't do anything particularly special, but it was the enthusiasm with which he played, the energy that that with which he played, and, and the way he sort of got people off their seats. And, and I know, you know, people might wonder why I'm comparing Darwin Nunes to Dirk Cal. You know, we, we hope that that um. That, that Darwin Nunes will perhaps score more goals than Dirk Kalt. And I know people were divided on him. You know, I, I loved Dirk for the type of footballer he was, but but perhaps he's not the same type of footballer as Darwin Nunes. But the enthusiasm was there, and 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 that's what I loved about that first half against West Ham. You know, that, that he was Liverpool's danger man. He offers them just different types of threat. A great header to score a goal. Great volley. You know, you can see him scoring tap-ins. And I really think as the season goes on, these daft chants that we hear and, you know, the way football is now uh, after one game and, and, and look, you know, guilty of it. I wouldn't say we're guilty of it ourselves, but there was a lot being said about Erling Haaland after the, the charity shield. But, you know, I look at Darwin Nunes and think that the chants, some of the stupid memes and tweets and stuff like that around him, I think by the end of the season, he could have scored 25 goals and we could be talking about a really, really, really lethal forward. So um, I'm really hopeful he's fit for, for the game tomorrow because, you know, I could see him scoring another couple against Nottingham Forest and really going on a roll now. Um, so, yeah, um thought he was great from the left when he came off the bench against City as well. You know, again, people fixate on that, that moment where he didn't pass the ball. But if you look at what he did do in that, 18 minute minute cameo, he basically set up two almost goals at a chance where he should have passed himself. Um, skinned, um, who was it down the right hand side? You know, he really, he really set you know set that game alight towards the end. So I was really really impressed by that. Another good performance against West Ham. Really hope he plays against Nottingham Forest because I think I wanted to keep that momentum up. But yeah, huge excited and. He's um he's really starting to win me over, so uh, fair play to him. I'm really really enjoying watching him play. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Record a, a goal every 114 minutes so far, Theo. So for a player who still looks really raw and still has a lot to improve, I mean it's it's not a bad starting point to be going from. No, it's not. Like five goals in 12 games is. Very respectable for any striker coming to England for the first time, especially one so young. And Jurgen Klopp has said this himself many times, that it's going to take time for him to adjust. Players rarely 
uh, clicks straight away at Liverpool and they do need that bit of patience. I think from his 12 games, six of them have been starts, so that makes that record look even more impressive. Um, in the FSG era, I wrote about this yesterday, they've signed 19 forwards and the only ones who have got a better goals per game average than Nunes at the moment are Jota, Mane, Salah and Sturridge, I think it was. Well, that's not bad company to keep. He was only just worse than Mane and Jota. So give him a full season, you'd expect him to be higher up that list there. Uh, uh, Suarez, not Suarez, Salah and Sturridge, the only two to get over 20 goals in the first 12 months at the club. A few more getting double figures. Well, Nunes is easily going to get double figures. Uh, he just makes something happen every single game he plays. and It's not always pretty. It's not always uh, the right decision from him when he's one-on-one or he shoots straight at the keeper. But he just he's causing chaos every game. And Liverpool can feed off that and get goals from that. They can get wins from that. I think this is a really respectable goal or a return from him. But how many of these games he's played are we thinking, probably should have had two or three in that. That could have been a case against West Ham. It could have been the case against Man City. You go through pretty much every single one of his appearances so far and you'll find at least one glaring chance where you think he should score that. And if he was scoring that, well, then he's rivaling Haaland in terms of the numbers this season. But Haaland's got that bit more experience in the major leagues. He's, been, he's this pristine athlete, whereas Nunes is a bit more raw. They know it's going to take time. He was a long-term investment for Liverpool. And if this is the start of him, wait until he does bed in a bit more when he can speak the language where he is just tuned up working with Klopp and he's going to hit these new heights. I've said on podcasts before, he doesn't need to get 25 goals this season. He just needs to be contributing along with the rest of the forwards and then we'll see the best of him in the future. Like Firmino, only got, I think, 11 goals in his first season. Mane and Jota got 13. Within two years, three years, they were getting 20 goal seasons and we saw what they've achieved for the club. There's no reason why Nunes can't go on to do that. This is a very promising starting point, despite what uh, outsiders might tell you. It certainly is. I don't think the uh, the Erling Haaland comparison has particularly helped him in the early weeks of, of the season. Maybe if, if he hadn't gone to City, maybe it would have been a little bit different in terms of, of the narrative. But wasn't the only match winner, Joe. Alisson Becker as well, not for the first time this season, won't be the last either with an important save from the penalty spot. And just a, another performance, really, that, that shows how good he is. I'm not quite sure what you can say other than that and beyond that, but another huge contribution from him. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's just everything we know that he is, isn't he? He's just such a, a short goalkeeper. And, and the funny thing about that game is he, he didn't start particularly well, did he? I think he gave like two of his first three touches of the ball away straight straight to the West Ham attackers who, who sort of messed it up. But the great thing about Alisson is he's just got that sort of self-assured mindset as a goalkeeper that, that it doesn't matter what happens within the game, it doesn't seem to affect him and he just bounces back and, you know, I love when he when he saves a penalty. He just stands very straight, doesn't he? And you know, it looks like if you're if you're taking a penalty against him, he must be quite an intimidating presence because he just looks so self assured and confident. Um, you know, he looks like the, the attacker who's about to slot the penalty, not the goalkeeper who expects to concede. So, you know, very very confident guy, and, and you know that's why for me. He's the best goalkeeper in the world because his mindset, and, and I think that's his, his greatest attribute. So, um, yeah, save Liverpool's bacon. And, and so, the, by the way, so the James Milner at the end with just the most incredible interception, which hasn't been hasn't been a great deal uh, made of that, you know, just because if you, I think a lot of people at the time just thought it was an Alisson save, and it was a, it was a good save, wasn't it? But 
without Milner's touch there, that would have been in the back of the net. Alison would have had no chance, but what a touch that was. And um, Milner has, has quietly played a very effective role for Liverpool this season. Yeah, a bit of gamesmanship around the uh, the penalty as well, which is uh, no bad thing. Like to, to see that from Liverpool from time to time. They certainly needed it on Wednesday. Uh, the, the other talking point I wanted to, to mention, there's been a, a little bit of chat around the sort of importance of Thiago. I know on Liverpool.com we've had a, a couple of pieces around that, that Liverpool obviously were under a little bit of pressure when he went off, a bit of a situation to solve. And I think it's, it's twofold, really. Part of it is that Thiago isn't there to help Liverpool control it, but also... Fabinho coming on didn't have a particularly brilliant game either. It's been a little bit of a while that the City game, he was excellent, but it has been a good number of games now where he's not been particularly brilliant. It's a, a bit of a conundrum for, for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool's assault. Yeah, it's been like this for a while now. I suppose it's maybe fatigue because he played so much last season and he was relied on so much last season. Got the injury at the end of the season, I think, against Aston Villa, rushed back for the Champions League final. He's just not looked himself... Um, he's going to be in the Brazil squad for the World Cup if he doesn't get an injury. I bet he'll probably just sit on the bench for most of that. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for Liverpool, uh, we'll wait and see. But for whatever reason, it's just not clicking for him so far. I think that's part of the reason why they've had to change formation. Like Fabinho on his day, you can leave him as your sole number six, be that holding midfielder, and he's covering every blade of grass, winning the ball back and really asserting himself on the game. When he's not at it, you're chasing shadows a little bit and you need that second body in there. But the two in midfield partnership is something he knows well. He's done it with Brazil. He's done it with Monaco. And it should help him revive his fortunes. But at the moment, he's probably saying he's not in Liverpool's first choice 11 when they're on form, which is the first time we've had to say this in his Liverpool career. Um, I can understand why he was brought on. Like Klopp explained, well, we had to take Nunes off. Otherwise, we were risking getting injuries. But we needed this aerial fit, uh, presence brought on because of West Ham. So Fabinho, you would throw on there just to give you that extra bit of uh, compatibility. But he needs to start performing again, really, just to find a way to get back in the Liverpool starting eleven. Because when he's at his best, Liverpool's spine is one of the very best in Europe. But then it helps that they have changed this formation, that they can rotate between the three of them when they've had so many midfield injuries as well, that it can be Henderson and Thiago one week, Henderson and Fabinho the next. And, Fabinho and Thiago, so they can just try and get the legs right and make sure that it manages them well. Um, we know the World Cup break is hopefully going to be the making of Liverpool's season because they can get all the players out to Dubai, uh, do this warm weather training camp, have it as another pre-season and then just go again second half of the season. So it is just get through to there. Players aren't going to be at the best. They're going to be in and out of the games. Uh, but hopefully 2023 will be a, an upturn in Fabinho's fortunes. But yeah, it is a concern because everything they've achieved under Jurgen Klopp over the last few years, he has been a huge part of that. Like They don't win the trophies without him. He's one of the most successful signings along with Alisson, Van Dijk and Salah. And just want him back to his best as soon as possible. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We know there's been midfield troubles, Joe, all season for, for Liverpool. That's nothing new. But the Fabinho one is, is particularly interesting just because they haven't really got anyone else who can do that job in the same way that, that he can do it. It's it, it's a real, real strange one. I don't quite know what it is, whether, as Theo says, maybe the World Cup comes, he gets a bit of a rest and maybe it is just fatigue. But it, it does just seem really, really strange to see him being so lethargic and, and, and so just so off what he normally is. Everything he normally does just seems to have gone out the window at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't worry too much about Fabinho because I, I look at it and think, well, could, could we not be saying this about 
I mean, 70, 80% of the Liverpool squad this season. Um, I think we called. And I think if you look, there's been a couple of things that I think have really affected him. First of all, a, a very inconsistent midfield in terms of partnerships. Um, you know, I think Fabinho is at his best when he's consistent playing every week um, with, with consistent partners, and that hasn't happened. And secondly, you know, the formation they've been playing, they've been playing a two a lot, haven't they, in the middle? And personally, I think Fabinho, he isn't the most mobile, and I think he does, you know, what Liverpool have done in the past with the three that they've played is, is complementing quite well with two more mobile players who cover the pitch a little bit more and, and allow Fabinho to sit in there and, and play in a play tactically in a place which he he's very good he, he's very good positionally isn't he and, and passes the ball pretty well and obviously is, is very good in terms of tackling interceptions so i think the formations liverpool have played in the past have, have played to the strengths a bit more in this season with quite a few changes in system and personnel they've probably contributed to him not being in the best of form but you know i'd still have no doubt about fabinho and i think you know, tomorrow, for example, I, I would play him again, no doubt about that. And, and yeah, coming on against West Ham in a second half, you know, with, with I think it was three changes at once, wasn't it? He came on with, can you really, can you really look at that and, and measure it? I don't know whether you can. So, like Theo said, you know, they're going to have a break. Um, and, and whether he comes back after that, Liverpool are a little bit of a different team, more players back fit and a little bit refreshed. I think we'd see a better Fabinho. But yeah, he's one of those ones for me that when Liverpool are playing very well, he's a big part of it. When they're not playing so well, I don't really expect him to sort of stand out from the crowd, if you like. Um, I think that's just the, just the way he is as a player. Yeah, certainly something for Liverpool to think about. I'll, I'll stick with you, Joe, as well, to talk about one of the other midfielders, Fabio Cavallio, I wanted to, to mention just before we, we move on to, to Forest. Obviously, not loads of options for Liverpool to play on that left-hand side. But mm-hmm. again, a little bit similar to Darwin Nunez almost, of kind of the signs are there. It's not quite clicked. It's not quite perfect yet, but you wouldn't expect it to, given his age in particular. There is, there is I think, a, a role to be had for, for him on that left-hand side. Yeah, I mean, again, I think he's played a little bit too much this season. And I don't mean that because, I, you know, I don't rate him or anything. I just mean that in terms of, I think Liverpool would like to have eased him in a little bit more, um, played him in, in, some of the, in some of the more different games and brought him off the bench a little bit more because of the, 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 the injuries. He's had to play a bit more. He's had to move around positionally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I, I sort of reserving judgment on him a little bit at the moment for Fabio Cavallo. He's very young and I think, you know, the way this Liverpool team has played this season and again, all the same things apply with Fabinho, the chopping and changing of system, the the inconsistency of the people around him. I don't think you can really judge him and I think we'll we'll see we'll see Fabio Cavallo um, sort of progressed when, once this Liverpool side settles down a bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's done anything particularly badly. I don't think he's really shone, um, you know, but that's fine. You know, he's very young and he's, he's got a role to play for many, many years. So um, nothing to worry about, but nothing to sort of get too excited about just yet. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, uh, just quickly before we uh, move on and, and go into our teams, Theo, just a, a quick word on Forest. I mean, loads and loads of signings over the summer. Obviously, a couple of Liverpool connections as well. It's it's not quite happened for them. You'd expect Liverpool should be able to win. And I know Jurgen Klopp isn't necessarily a massive fan of a lunchtime kickoff, but it kind of feels like it might work in Liverpool's favour this time. Um, it's, it's a strange one because I suppose Forest don't really know their best eleven yet, and there are rumours. That Steve Cooper was going to be sacked a couple of weeks ago after getting battered by Leicester. He signed up, he ended up signing a new contract. And I think they got rid of the whole recruitment team that brought in these 22 players. So that's not really a, a ringing endorsement of what they did do in the summer. But you, it needs time for it to gel there. Like they've shown glimpses, they've got a couple of good results. But when you put in together, when you basically sign two starting 11s, what on earth do you expect? Um, I suppose some of the signings haven't played as well as you'd like. Like Jesse Lingard, they've put so much into him to be this star number 10 and recreate what he did on loan at West Ham. And he's just not really done much. As you compare that to Nico Williams, who they got for Liverpool, he seems to be playing pretty well for them. And he's doing exactly what they wanted him to do. Um, normal seasons, you'd say, yeah, Liverpool win this quite comfortably because they've got a great record against the, the newly promoted sides. West Ham game is a bit ugly. Um, the lunchtime kickoffs that Jurgen Klopp doesn't like. When Liverpool have been sluggish this season for the majority, this is that sort of game where they could just be sluggish and start poorly, find themselves 2-0 down. Uh, I don't want to be that negative. You'd like to think that the last three wins have sort of turned a corner for Liverpool, but there's still that seed of why they're in the position they're in at the moment underneath it all. If they have really turned the corner, they are going to win this one quite comfortably. But Nottingham Forest, this massive game for them. It's one of the reasons I wanted to get promotion and be back in the Premier League to play the Liverpools, getting it in front of the home fans. They should be able to create atmosphere and it'd be the perfect time for them to turn it on and kickstart their season. But Liverpool want to be uh, giving them another couple of kick-ins, send them further down to the bottom of the table. Get the first goal and I think Liverpool should be all right. But uh, let's pick our teams for the game then. I'll come to you first, Joe. Obviously, Alisson in goal, but... The back four, I suppose, there's probably not going to be that many changes. There's not that many options for Liverpool. Yeah, I'd just bring Robertson back in. Um, other than that, I think I think you go there, aren't you? But I think for an away game like this, for a side that, that might start with the crowd up being a bit aggressive, I think Robertson is, uh, is the best pick at left back. Yeah, absolutely. Trent, Gomez, Van Dijk and Robertson for me as well. Same for you, Theo. And if so, you might as well move on to the midfield. Yep, tight winning back four. And then midfield, Henderson and Thiago. I think Thiago came off early. He should be fine to go again. And Henderson just about gets the nod over Fabinho. Fabinho can come in for the, the Champions League game. Same for you, Joe, or are you bringing Fabinho I, I, in? I'm going to play Fabinho, yeah. I think, um, I just think just to keep things fresh, Fabinho and Thiago, yeah. Because like, like um, Theo says, he came off earlier, didn't he? So that would suggest that they have one eye on this game. Yeah, exactly that. Right, front four then for you as well, Joe. So uh, do you want to talk us through that? It depends if Nunes is fit, isn't it? It's funny because, you know, obviously he played centrally in the mid in midweek, but I just really like him off the left. So if, if he's fit, I don't think they will, but I'd love to see him play off the left um, and Salah up front. Um, then I would play Elliot off the right um, and, um, and Firmino in behind, but well, I think if he's fit, it will more likely be him up front. And then, and then I'm not sure, because you would think Salah off the right, Firmino through the middle, 
I don't really think Elliot sort of suits off the left, does he? So you, you'd probably play Cavallo there. Um, so, yeah. But my, my pick, it's my team, isn't it? So let's go with Luna's <laughs> off the left. Um, Sal up front. Yeah. Theo, what about your front four? Uh, it's not really many alternatives, are there? Um, Curtis Jones could be a contender now. Like, Jürgen Klopp was uh, singing his praises in the press conference, saying how he, it's perfect that he's come back and he's got so much talent. Um he came on on the left and he midweek and he's got a really good score in return there for the youth teams thinking if he could take that level to the first team then it could be a real chance for him to stake a claim um one of the reasons why young club signed his new contract was so he could be here for the next stage of elliot and jones's career cavalio as well maybe come a little bit earlier than he thought but they're going to get minutes now but then he's only played half an hour since community shield so it's whether he's ready to start a game. I'd imagine he's going to start one in the next week, whether it's Leeds, Ajax or this one. Uh, after all that, I'm just waffling on a bit. So let's keep him on the bench because I think they've got to be a bit careful with it. <sighs> Mate, I'll go Nunes on the left if he's fit. Elliot on the right, Salah and Firmino, just because Carvalho, he's showing glimpses, but he's not quite the consistency of Elliot at the moment. He's have a moment off the bench or something, can't he? Maybe get a goal if he needs to. But it's just relying on Nunes being fit because when he's fit, he makes things happen. Yeah, I'm going to go Cavalio left, Elliot right. And then if Nunez is fit, play him with Salah through the middle. I don't really want to see Salah out on the right hand side again. So that's what I will go for. But let's go for our match predictions as well just before we finish. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to go 3 0 to Liverpool. Joe, what do you reckon? Um, 2 0, uh, 2 1 Liverpool. Two early goals and then. Forest to make it a bit nervous at the end. Theo, prediction from you. Bearing in mind the last prediction was a 4-1 defeat, wasn't it, for Liverpool? That you that made, worked. Hopefully. That worked. I said I was being horribly <laughs> negative so it could work in Liverpool's favour. I was playing mind games with Pep. Well, that, that certainly worked. Uh, <laughs> um, they've, they've seemingly remembered how to defend this last week, so I'm going to go for a clean sheet and a 2 now. Yes, as long as Joe Gomez doesn't give away any daft penalties, then possibly a clean sheet could be on the cards. Good stuff. We shall leave it there for now. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp's press conference is over on the Blood Red YouTube channel. If you've not watched that yet, we'll have all the usual content around the game as well. Until next time, though, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.